Hey, this is Taylor, and welcome back to another message from Elevate Retake. We are in our series, Rethinking Church, and the sermon title is Dear Church, Keep It Up. A key text we will be taking a look at is found in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, and it reads, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. Your engage question as you ponder this message is, what do people say about you? So this morning we turn back to the letter to the church with two addresses. It's in Thessalonica and we'll read chapter one, verse one. So if you've got your Bibles, maybe you're following along at home, you're listening to the podcast, watching on YouTube. We're glad you're here. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. Wherever you would like to pull that from this morning is perfectly fine. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This is how it begins. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God, the Fa- God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. Spent a lot of time on this verse last week, this one singular verse. We spent 25 minutes on dissecting and milking it for all it has. I invite you to go back to listen to that episode or that video. We have to continue on in this letter. Paul has opened up his greetings, shared his heart with a church that's got two addresses, one in Thessalonica and one in God. And he says, I wish for you grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that would turn into peace for your life. Here's how he opens his letter to the church in Thessalonica and the church in God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. He puts it this way. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. I have to dwell here for a moment. This simple verse on first blush can seem like, oh yeah, cool. Paul's a really thankful guy and he's got a really good prayer life. But think about the significance of these words. We always thank God for all y'all. If he was writing to the church in Texas, he'd say all y'all. We always thank God for all y'all. If you look up always in Greek, it means always. Very, very simple, straightforward. Always thanking God. He had a spirit of thankfulness, one that extended forth from him. He says, he goes to God, and he says, I am thankful for the Thessalonican church. I'm thankful for those Thessalonians who are dedicating their lives to God. I'm, God, I'm thankful for who they are, their personality, the gifts that you've given them, how they're using that for ministry. He says, I pray for you constantly. You're always on the, on the front of my mind. When I come before the God of the universe in prayer and I'm on my knees before him, I'm bringing your name before the throne, O church of Thessalonians. Paul's prayers empowered God to be who God promised to be to the Thessalonians. There's this cosmic conflict or the great controversy that we find ourselves in on a daily basis, sometimes very aware of and other times not so much. And our prayers to God enable him to work on behalf of us and on behalf of others in ways that he would not be allowed to before. Prayer changes things. In fact, prayer changes everything. Think about it for a moment. You think about maybe your mom, your dad, your grandfather, your grandmother, a very close friend who you know prays for you. That no matter what decisions that you've made, no matter where you've gone in life, you've had somebody in your life 
who has been praying for you. It makes a difference. It changes everything to know that there, there's someone else in this world that is going before the God of the universe on your behalf, opening up heaven's storehouses for you. There are several of you seated here in this space, and maybe you're watching online as well, that I know that you're praying for me. You'll tell me that on a regular basis, and I appreciate that. And I'm not saying now, like, okay, everybody, please, you know, continue to like, tell me that you're praying for me and all that. Like, I, if you want to do it, cool. I'm not asking for that. But it warms my heart, and, and it enables me to know that I've got people that have my back before God, not that God is someone to be afraid of, but that the Holy Spirit might be poured out in my life more deeply because of your prayers. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So this morning as we dive into our our passage, the question that comes to mind for me is, who are you thankful for? I know it's not Thanksgiving. We've got several months to go before that. But we don't just have to be thankful around November time. I think it can be a way of life. And Paul practiced that. It's a theme throughout all of his letters. And who are you praying for? Who are you going before God on their behalf? A couple of months ago, uh, we, we took a survey called Natu- uh, Natural Church Development. And our, our lead team did it, and a few others of you were a part of it. We took a subset of this community, and it asked a plethora of questions. and said, okay, what is the health of, of this community, this thing that we call Elevate? So I was going through the, the responses that those who took the survey gave. There's one page of responses that gave us the the lowest items across the entire board, the the ones where we needed the most growth in. And as we dissected that and we looked at that, unfortunately, and it broke my heart, we decided to do some intentional things to try to change that. One of the most difficult things that we struggle with in our community, I'm not talking global church here, I'm not talking anything outside of these walls, us, is that there are a lot of us that feel that we are not praying for each other. It's difficult. We've got to wrestle with that. Paul gives us the example. He says, I'm praying for you constantly. What would this community look like if we regularly took each other before God by our names? Maybe it's not all of us. Maybe after service today, you find somebody say, hey, can we link up? I'm going to pray for you. You're going to pray for me. Let's go before God together. Because prayer changes things. Paul, Silas, and Timothy continue on in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As we pray to our God, remember Paul is praying constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that trio together, faith, hope, and love. The theme throughout a lot of Paul's letters that he writes. He'll put it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which came from your confident of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Faith, love, hope. The famous verse that wraps up the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, he puts it this way. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. He'll add on as well and says the greatest of all these is is love. 
But these three will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And he writes to the church of Thessalonica, and he says, this is what I'm thinking about as I'm praying for you. Put verse 3 back up on the screen from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, I'm praying for to God about your faithful work, your work of faith, your faith-filled works. How you are practicing your faith in this community. I'm bringing that before God. I'm bringing before God your labor of love, your loving deeds, how you share hospitality with those around you, and that throughout the whole area you are known because of your love. And I'm talking to God about your enduring hope, that steadfastness of hope, that you're looking forward to something beyond the immediate circumstances that are going on around you. Because the church in Thessalonica was raised up under immense persecution. There were Jewish religious leaders that did not want the Christian church to flourish in that context. At this time, it cost some of the Thessalonians their lives in order to stand up for who and for what they believed in. As Paul, Silas, and Timothy mention these three virtues to the church in Thessalonica, they are more than just virtues to be contemplated, but they must be expressed. He doesn't just say, I'm I'm thankful for your faith, your hope, and your love. He says, no, it's your faithful work. It's your loving deeds. It's your enduring hope. There are adjectives that are paired with those virtues that give us a sense that this church is moving. That it's not just sitting back on its faith and saying, yeah, I know Jesus is going to take care of everything at the end. I know everything's going to work out, so all I need to do is just kind of sit back. Oh, yeah, I have love in my heart for others. I think about them often. No, it compelled them to action. That they might do something on behalf of others that the community could come to a closer understanding of who God is. And that the needs of the community might be met. Genuine Christianity must affect the way individuals live their new lives. Or else, it's not genuine Christianity. Perhaps it might be empty religion, shells of what possibly could be. Paul writes to this community and he tells them, you are a community distinguished by your faith, your love, and your hope. Continues on in verse 4, talking to this community, telling them that they're loved and they're chosen, chosen by God. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. This world is filled with a lot of uncertainty, is it? Our daily actions sometimes could mean life or death. We don't know when we leave from this space, not wishing any ill will on anyone. We don't know who's going to be back next week and who's not. But the one sure thing that we can know that Paul says, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you. The single most foundational aspect of the gospel is that God loves you. And because of his love for you, he has chosen you to be his own people. There's parts of Christianity that get this verse backwards. That says, God has chosen you, and therefore, he loves you. Now, there's a little bit of truth to that, but in some ways, we're putting the cart before the horse. God's choice about you is based on his love for you. 
And his love extends to all people over all time, no matter where they reside in this little blue planet. God's love extends to us, and he chooses us because of his love. We are first loved, then chosen. Chosen because we are loved, and loved because God is If you are loved by God and everyone is loved by God, you are a part of his chosen people. Paul says this we can know. Continues on in verse 5. He talks about how the gospel is being proclaimed. For when we brought you the good news, that gospel news, it was not only with words but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Paul opens up his heart about the time that he, Silas, and Timothy were with the church at Thessalonica. He said, we brought some good news to you. We brought a good word from on high, and we didn't just preach it to you, but we lived it out in front of you with power given by the Holy Spirit. As we go about our lives preaching and teaching the gospel, living the gospel, if it is not infused with the Holy Spirit, it will fall short of its goal. The Holy Spirit is the catalyst that brought about a transformation in this community. It's the catalyst that Paul, Silas, and Timothy used to bring about kingdom living in this small church. It's the Holy Spirit that brought conviction. The Holy Spirit that brought full assurance that what Paul, Silas, and Timothy were teaching were what the Thessalonian people needed to hear and to live. Unfortunately, sometimes we can run around doing the Holy Spirit's job of conviction. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to believe, not because you're convicted of it, but because I'm convicted of what you should be convicted of. That's dangerous space. That's setting yourself in place of God. We must live our lives according to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to bring the influence, allowing him to bring the assurance, allowing him to bring the conviction to those around us. The impetus for us is not there. The impetus that we must follow after is that we share and articulate the gospel to those around us. And we let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Question that comes to my mind as we look at this, the last part of this verse You know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Does our community know of our concern for them by how we live? Does our spouse or a significant other know our concern for them by how we live when we are with them? Do our families, our kids, our colleagues, our coworkers, our classmates, the list goes on and on. Do the people around us know about our concern for them by the way we live when we are with them? Paul says, we are all in for you guys. We care for you guys. We want you to know about this God that we serve. And we showed that to you by the way that we lived when we were with you. What does that look like in our space? What does that look like for us as we we gather? Can we show concern for our neighbor by how we live when we're around them? The gospel story is not finished Verse 6 continues on. So you receive the message. We preach the message. Now you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. 
The reception of the gospel comes with joy from the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's the same Spirit that brought power to the proclamation, brings joy and the acceptance. And true gospel brought to our hearts, to yours, to mine, ultimately will result in joy that we have found the maker of all things who loves and wants us. The proclamation of gospel should produce joy in the heart of the receiver. If it's not, then maybe we're doing something wrong. Because that same spirit that brings powerful conviction also brings refreshing joy. The question we might ask ourselves is Seventh-day Adventism a joyful denomination? We talk about the second coming of Jesus, about the grace that is extended from, from God to us. But maybe there are some of us that walk around beating ourselves down because we can't seem to get it together. Or maybe there's a certain level that we have to attain to in order for Jesus to come back. The gospel should produce joy. We can walk in newness of life with joy so that others look around us and say, hey, you had a really crummy week. It's like, man, was it that obvious? And they're like, yes, but even more obvious was your joy and how you navigated in spite of the difficulties that you faced. The church in Thessalonica experienced severe suffering, but the Holy Spirit brought them joy that no matter what stood in their way, they could wake up in the morning. Maybe it wasn't a smile on their face, but there was something in their heart that said, said, today I can face this day with joy because I know who's coming back for me. What would our community look like? Are we known for our joy? as we've received the gospel and what has come from on high. Paul finishes this section of the introduction with verse 7. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. He says, because of your faithful works, because of your loving deeds, because of your, your steadfastness of hope, everyone around you has, you've become an example to them all over Macedonia, all over Greece. You are an example to all of them. See, this gospel proclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit, this gospel received through joy in the Holy Spirit is only gospel when it's lived out. And this is the the simplest model of evangelism, that we proclaim the gospel, others receive the gospel, and it causes us to live closer to the gospel image that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. It's a cycle. Proclamation, reception, and then lives lived out. So as you leave this space today, as we've proclaimed the good news of who Jesus is, and maybe you've received it today, enjoy through the Holy Spirit, how do you leave this space changed? The gospel might be lived out in your life. Paul's last words in chapter 1, to the, Thessalo- to the Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 8. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever you go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Verse 9. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and the true God. And verse 10. And they speak of you, of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, 
Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, you are ringing out everywhere as if a bell was resounding from your church. And this term ringing out, it's one of the few places that it's used in, in the New Testament. And it's not just like I bring a little bell up here and it's like ding, 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 ding. Uh, you know, you walk up to a place for service and it's like, okay, ding, finance window, ding. No, this is a loud bell, one that you could hear for miles was ringing out, echoing, reverberating throughout the entire region that this church was faithful in their deeds. They were loving of one another and they had a hope for something to come. And Paul extends it to the point that says, hey, we don't even have to talk about it. Maybe we might even retire from gospel ministry because of the work that you're doing. Because of the example that you're living out for everyone around. This word is going out from the church in Thessalonica. And you think about everything our church does, both lowercase c and capital C, both locally and globally, the amount of money that's poured into marketing, into evangelism, into gathering people together so that they can hear the gospel. The single most effective form of evangelism is your words shared with someone else by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can pour millions of dollars into tracts, into books, and those have made a, dif a difference in people's lives. Don't get me wrong. But the way to turn the world upside down, as Paul is telling this church, is to say, hey, live the example that Jesus said. You've been saved by grace. It causes you to walk in newness of life. Think of that description that Paul gives of the Thessalonian church. They have a faith in God. Don't need to go into 28 facets of that. No, they're faith in God. Everything else we'll talk about over potluck, okay? But we have a faith in God. There's a level of hospitality in this church. He said, you welcomed us with open arms, and we'll see in chapter two next week that there was a church that shunned Paul. He was not treated well when he went to another church, but he says, you welcomed us, even though we were outsiders with open arms, turned away from idols to serve the living God. So there's a group of people that says, we're not going to have anything of this world. We're going to turn and serve the living God. None of the fake stuff. None of everything, anything else that buys for our attention, we're going to serve the living God. And they were looking forward to the advent of Jesus Christ, the second advent of Jesus Christ, that he's coming back soon. So what do people say about us? Paul spent the entire entry, the, the very beginning of his letter to the Thessalonians, saying everything that others have been saying about the Thessalonican church. What do people say about us? Are we a group of people that people say, oh, they've, they've got a faith in God. <laughs> Those people over in King, they're the most hospitable people that you could ever imagine. They're so loving, they're inviting, they bring everyone in. Man, they, they turned away from everything else that's false in this world. and They're, they're true, truly serving the living God. And those people, they've got their eyes on the sky looking forward to, to, to a soon coming of someone who's going to make everything good in this world. But their look up has not changed their look out. In fact, it's made it even deeper as their look up to Jesus' return extends their arm out to others to aid them in their knowledge and relationship of God. So what reputation precedes us? What are we proclaiming with our words and our deeds, our faith, our hope, and our love? What does that look like? 
in our community. My hope is that we would be a group of people, a community of people, distinguished by our faith in God, by our hospitality and our care for one another. A group of people that turns away from everything else in the world and focuses on the one living and true God. And that as we do this together as a community, we look forward to the second coming when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. Let's pray. God, here we are. We've gathered this week. Some of us aren't here. Some of us are watching online. Some of us are are here in this place. God, we're seeking you. We're thankful for the example of Jesus. We're thankful for the example of the Thessalonian church. God, we want to be known by our faith in you, by our hospitality to others, by our turning towards you, the living God, and our hope and assurance of Jesus coming back one day. God, may others see that in us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, may we know and understand what we ought to do in light of your will and what's going on around. And may the gospel spread from here, not that we take any honor and glory, but that the gospel proclaimed in this space would bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What do people say about you? This is a really important thought that I hope that you were definitely thinking over as you listened to the sermon. I know I was. And what stuck out to me was that I want to be known as somebody that has Jesus in their heart. That whenever other people talk about, they talk about and say, oh yeah, she has amazing faith in God. Just as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. What a blessing this message was. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Keep a lookout for another message of Elevate Retake where conversation digging deeper into the exact verse in Thessalonians and maybe a few different takes on it with Pastor Michael Gibson. Thank you so much for listening and your support of Elevate Retake. We'll catch you later.